You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. My son Judson's first birthday and everyone was gathered in our backyard and my wife had done an incredible job of planning out a Mickey Mouse themed birthday party and everything was set up. We had our friends all there and my wife had had, had this lady make this cake that was literally a work of art. Right, and, and all of this was leading up to the time that everyone looks forward to in a one-year-old's birthday, which is watching them smash a piece of birthday cake into their face. And so we're all gathered around waiting for this to go down, and we cut a piece of the cake, and we put it in front of him. And he looks at it, and we wait for him to pick up a piece and start eating, but he just keeps looking at it. And so I'm getting frustrated a little bit because I'm like, okay, everybody's here white, waiting for this to go down, right? We need to hurt. So I take a little bit. I put it in his mouth thinking maybe a little sample will, you know, kind of get him salivating, get him going. But it doesn't work. We just keep waiting and waiting. And I'm like, what are you doing? Do you realize that for the first time in your life, you have the opportunity to stuff your face with this sugar-filled bread, Right? to experience this incredible thing called cake and you're missing out. You're just sitting there looking at it and everyone else is just waiting for this to happen. And in that moment, I realized that there is a picture of what we were watching in my son's first birthday and what many of us experience in our own Christian lives. You see, God has provided this incredible experience, this incredible gift of living a life, of of experiencing the fullness of Christ, of experiencing deep joy and satisfaction in Him. And, And so many of us are satisfied with so much less. It's put before us. It's made available to us. All we have to do is eat, and yet many times we just sit back and look at what God has provided and don't experience and enjoy the fullness of it. And my desire is that for for my own life and for the lives of everyone here this morning that we will will not be satisfied with missing out on the, the deep soul satisfaction that is available to us through Christ. And so this morning, I want us to look at a passage that that talks about how we can experience this fullness of life. And it's in the book of John. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to go ahead and turn to the book of John. And this morning, we'll be in John chapter 7. And we're going to read from verse 25 to verse 52. So John 7, 25 through 52. Some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer. 
And then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and he comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why do you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone before him and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you two from Galilee? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Father, thank you for the fact that you have, have given us everything that we need to experience a life of fullness and satisfaction through what Jesus did on the cross and the fact that we can now receive the Spirit of God, your Spirit in our lives. God, my desire this morning is that your Spirit would speak your truth to our hearts. God, that you would open eyes and hearts in a way that I cannot And God, that you would make us into people who live these lives of experiencing the deep satisfaction of our souls that comes through your spirit. This is our desire. We ask that you would do it through your power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. My great-grandmother was one of those people who just have a way of seeing the negative in any situation. Any of you guys know anybody like that? Just don't point at the person if they're with you. Right? She just had a way of, of always seeing the negative, and she could not stand to say anything positive about anyone or anything. And, and so there are many stories that are, that are funny uh, about her life, things she said and did uh, along these lines. But one of the ones that, that stands out uh, was, was there was a day when my mom was, was pushing her in her wheelchair, and it was a beautiful spring day. And the sun was shining, the, the sky was a, was a bright blue, uh, it was just perfect, white puffy clouds, right? And, and it was the kind of day that you just can't help but smile when you walk outside. And so as they were walking around, enjoying the day, my mom said to her, Grandma, isn't this a beautiful day? And for a split second, she smiled and she looked up and she said, you know, it really is. And suddenly she realized what she'd done. So quickly she put a scowl back on her face and she said, but it ain't going to do me any good, right? Some of you guys have experienced that, right? It's like they cannot let, even the experience of something beautiful, like a beautiful day, it's like you, you can't allow yourself to enjoy it. And here's the deal. This is what was happening in the context that Jesus was in. 
Because the Jewish leaders and the Jews around Jesus were seeing these incredible things that Jesus was doing. And he was doing incredible, miraculous things. Uh, he was healing people who had been paralyzed. Right? He, was, he was healing people's eyes who had been blind from birth so that they could see. He was casting out demons from people who had spent their entire lives tortured by these demonic powers. Uh, right? He was feeding thousands of people from a, from a little boy's lunchable. Right? He was doing incredible things that, that clearly should have caused people to, to look at him and to love him and to worship him and to recognize the beauty in who he was. But that was not their response. Instead, the response was that they hated him. They saw the negative. They were constantly trying to point out what was wrong with what he was doing. In fact, we see in verse 25 that they are seeking to kill him. Now, why is this? What is it that motivated them to reject him to the point of wanting to kill him? Well, we're going to see a few different reasons from this passage. Uh, the first reason that they rejected Jesus is because he did not keep their rules. You see, here's the context. Uh, the Jews had added all kinds of rules to what the Bible taught. And so you had the teachings of what we have as the Old Testament, right, the scriptures, and they read those, but then they decided that they needed to add some rules. And so it was kind of like a fraternity, right? There were all these rules that you had to keep in order to stay in the club, in order to be respected and considered a religious person. And so they added all these things that were man-made rules. And Jesus comes into this context and he could care less about the rules. Right? He could care less about impressing other people. He could care less about being known as a respected religious man. And this flew right in the face of the whole culture of Judaism at this time. Because as we see over and over in the New Testament, they were constantly focused on impressing others. Right? They wanted to be seen as those who were religious. They wanted to do things in public that people would, would be impressed with. And Jesus could care less about this culture and he could care less about impressing other people. And I think there's a, there's a side point here that we need to ask ourselves. Why is it that Jesus was not concerned about the applause and approval of people? And the reason is because he was so consumed and so satisfied with the love of the Father and the acceptance of the Father. And that was his focus. And so he was not concerned about the applause of men. And I think in our own lives, some of us need to ask ourselves, are we living for the approval of others? Do we live our lives thinking about whether or not we are acceptable or impressive to other people? And my prayer for my own heart and for all of us in this room is that, is that through an understanding of God's love and acceptance of us through his grace, that we would become so consumed with his approval that we quit worrying about the applause of other people. And this is, the, well, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. But what happens, what happens when the people who are used to you trying to impress them, the powerful people, the people that people want to impress. What happens when you stop worrying about impressing them? They get mad, right? 
because they're used to it. It's like the fuel that, that keeps them going. And so what happens is these religious leaders that are used to everyone being careful around them and, and trying to say and do the right things to impress them, suddenly they see Jesus who could care less about them. And so they get angry, right? They hate it. Just like somebody in power might hate it if you rejected them and weren't concerned with impressing them. And so they want Jesus gone. He's not concerned with their rules. He's not concerned about impressing them, and so they want him out. But the next thing we see is that they rejected Jesus because he confronted them with truth. Because Jesus is so content with the approval and love of the Father that he's not concerned with the applause of men, he is able to call out the powerful people. He is able to stand up and say what we see here in, verse, in John 7, 7, that their deeds were evil. Now, this is not a way to gain popularity, right? It's not a, a way to, to gain popularity when you go to the people who other people are impressed with and you call them out. Now, now maybe some of you have, have had someone in your life who, who liked to call you out. Right? Maybe when you were growing up, this was a sibling of yours. I know for me, my brother, this was like a job description for him. Right? He, he wanted uh, to, to point out when, when I messed up or when I did something wrong. Right? And he was very good at his job. Maybe some of you guys have, have experienced this yourselves. But how do you respond when someone confronts you or calls you out or points attention to what you've done wrong? You're furious. Right? You're angry, and this is exactly what happened. When they hear Jesus calling them out and saying that they're doing evil things, they hate him and they reject him. But here's the truth. He's the one who is in authority. He has the right to confront them. He knows all things. He knows what they think and what they say and what they do, and he knows their hearts. And so he has the authority to confront them and speak the truth into their lives, but they hate it. And so do we. You see, so many of us here this morning react the same way that the Jewish leaders did. We hate the fact that Jesus confronts us. Because if we're honest, we want to be our own gods. We want to have the right to determine what's right and what's wrong. And we cannot stand it when Jesus speaks into our lives and confronts us and tells us that we are sinful and calls us to account. And so just like the Jewish leaders, many of us reject Jesus because he confronts us with the truth. But the next point that we see here is that they rejected Jesus because they were ignorant about him. They were ignorant about him. Now, when you read through all these verses, and we read a chunk of verses this morning, but one theme that stands out that's kind of odd that keeps coming up through that passage of Scripture is talking about the place where Jesus was born. And, and what had happened is, is the religious leaders had found a reason that they were telling other people that Jesus could not be the Messiah. And the reason that they had found is the place where he was from. And this is because they think that Jesus is from Nazareth in Galilee. Because that's where, his, that's where he grew up. That's where his family was. That's where he came from. And so they are assuming that Jesus was born there. And they know the scriptures. 
They know the promise that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, in the, in the town of David. And so they say, well, Jesus was, in, was, was born in Nazareth. He couldn't be the Messiah because he wasn't born in Bethlehem. And they speak confidently to this, but what do we know about Jesus? He was born in Bethlehem, right? He was born in a stable in Bethlehem. He fulfilled the prophecies, but they were ignorant of that. And so out of their ignorance, they said he couldn't be the Messiah. The other ignorance that they displayed uh, was a, a Jewish tradition, and this was not in the scriptures, but, but it was a Jewish tradition that had developed that the Messiah would, would come out of nowhere, that, that he would be a completely unknown person who would show up on the scene and, and come in to redeem Israel. And they said, well, we know Jesus. We know his family. There's people here who watched him grow up since he was a little boy. He's, he's a known commodity, so he cannot be the Messiah. But that was not based on biblical truth. That was religious tradition. And so once again, they reveal their ignorance. Now, how do you respond when someone speaks negatively about you out of ignorance? Right? When they say something about you or to you and you know that they've got the facts wrong. You know that it is, there's, there's very clear evidence to go against what they are saying. What do you want to do? We want to justify ourselves, right? We want to pull out the documents. We want to bring in the witness who knows the truth to set the record straight. But Jesus is not concerned about that. Right? That's not what he does. He doesn't pull out his birth certificate and say, check this out, I was born in Bethlehem. Right? You guys are wrong. It's not what he does. What he does is he says there's a bigger issue at hand here. Yes, you may think you know where I'm from, but there is a bigger issue, there is a, a bigger ignorance that you have, and that is the fact that you really don't know God. <laughs> now, I don't know that we can understand how incredibly offensive that would have been. These were the Jews. These were the people who prided themselves on being the people of God. These were the people who spent their life in Sunday school studying the, the scriptures, right? They knew the text and they had been given the law and they kept the rules. They were the most religious people on the planet. They prided themselves in, in being unlike the pagans around them because they worshiped the one true God. And Jesus comes into this context, to this religious people, and says, you don't know God. There would be nothing more offensive that you could say. But this is where Jesus confronts them with truth, right? And here's why. He goes on to say in verse 29, he knows that they don't know God. Why? Because, because he himself knows God and has been sent by God. He is the revelation of God himself. And so follow this logic. And we see Jesus saying this over and over and over throughout the New Testament. He's saying, if you really knew God, God sent me. I am the revelation of God to humanity. And the evidence that you don't really know God is that you do not recognize his revelation of himself in me. And I want to tell you that the same is true today. Maybe there are people in here or maybe you have friends around you who would say that they know God. And they are people who, who do the right things. They do a lot of good things. They're kind people. 
They're people you look up to. Maybe they're people who have great self-discipline and they would say that they know God, but they don't love Jesus. They don't worship Jesus. Right? Maybe some of you here today, you're trying to do good things, but you don't really love and worship Jesus as God. And the authority of the scripture would tell us, and the words of Jesus would tell us, if you don't love Jesus, and if you don't worship Jesus, then you don't know God. And so this is what he speaks into this context, because it's all about Jesus, right? He's the point of all of this. He is the revelation of God. And so when they hear these words, they hate him all the more. And they're all the more focused on killing him, and they reject him. And in the same way the world rejects Jesus today. You see, the words that I just said are incredibly offensive. And the world will continue to reject Jesus because of the claims that he makes in Scripture, just like the Jews did in the context that Jesus was speaking into. But not only does the world reject Jesus, but secondly, the world is powerless to stop the plan of God. They were powerless to stop Jesus. And, and it's, uh, it's interesting here. Uh, they, they hate Jesus. They want to kill him. All these things that I've been talking about. And they, but they can't. Right? I mean, isn't this interesting? He's speaking publicly. And yet they don't come and arrest him. And he says, you can't because the hour has not yet come. And this is, the hour is a phrase that keeps coming up. Jesus keeps talking about. And what he's talking about is that God, the Father, is in complete control of the life of Jesus. And all of the details of his life. And there is a specific hour that the Father has planned for Jesus to be arrested and ultimately killed. And his plan cannot be changed and so the reason that they didn't arrest Jesus and, and try to kill him earlier is because it wasn't the time that the Father has planned. The Father is in sovereign control of everything and no person and no power is able to change the plan of God. And I want to tell you that this is still true today. The world is powerless to stop the plan of God through his church, through his people. You see, Jesus ultimately... Once he dies and ascends to the Father, he, he, come, he has a plan, and that is for his work to be done through his people, the church. And he gives us very clear orders as his people to make disciples, to take the gospel to the lost, and to, to lead them to trust and worship Jesus. And this plan will be accomplished through us, through his people, not because we have the ability to do it. Not because we're really impressive or, or we can make this happen by our own abilities or efforts. But no, it will happen because it is according to his power working in and through us. We see this in the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18, where he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus promises, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You see the confidence in Jesus' words? He doesn't say this should happen or this might happen. He says the gospel will be preached. The church will accomplish its missions, and the gates of hell will not stop it. Why? 
Because I am in power. I am sovereign over all details in all of history, and I will accomplish my plan. And so let that be an encouragement to us here today. That Jesus is powerful to accomplish his mission through us. And so there very well may come a day here in our context, just like there is in many places around the world, where the world will shut down churches like this, where it will not be legal for us to gather like this. There may be a day, like it is in many places in the world right now, this morning, where you could be arrested for, for preaching the gospel or even killed. That may happen, and it is happening in many places around the world, but even if that is the case, even if the world seeks to to stomp out Christianity like it has done throughout history, the power of Christ will accomplish the mission of Christ through his people. Because he is sovereign, and he is in control, and no purpose, or no person, and no power is able to stop his plan. Well, the next point that we see in this text, is that the world is thirsty for the water of life. Some of the most incredible words in all the Bible are Jesus' words in verses 37 through 39. When Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, now here's the context, and, and Pastor Greg talked about this a little bit last week, but the context of Jesus' words is that the Jews are, are, are currently in the festival or the Feast of Booths, right? And this is a seven-day party where all the people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate for seven days. This was not like a potluck, right? Any of you guys ever been church potlucks? Right? You know, you have a, a bite of the sweet old lady's casserole, and you think you might have gotten a little piece of cat food in there somewhere. Right? I don't miss potlucks. This was not a potluck. This was a party. Right? Seven days partying in tents. This was like the original Woodstock. These people knew how to party. Right? And they are celebrating all through this time the fact that God has provided for his people. They're looking back to the people of Israel and the fact that God provided for them. And he gave them manna to eat. And he gave them water from the rock to drink. And he brought them through the wilderness. And they are, they are celebrating the fact that God will continue to provide for his people through the harvest. And it is in this context that they had a water ritual where every day during this festival, the priest would get a golden pitcher. And he would take the golden pitcher and he would dip it in the water at the pool of Siloam. And he would walk through the streets and the people would follow him through the streets back to the temple. And once he walked into the temple, uh, the men would all grab a, a fistful of branches and a piece of citrus fruit in either of their hands. And they would hold them in the air and they would recite Psalms 113 through 118. And after they recited these psalms, uh, the priest would walk around the altar one time for every day of the festival. And then he would walk up onto the platform and they would hold their fruit and their branches in the air. And they would say, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. And then the high priest would pour the water out on the altar. And this was a picture of the fact that in the past, God had provided water from the rock. He had provided life for his people. 
But it was also pointing forward to a promise of the scriptures that God would provide more than just physical water, but he would provide spiritual water for his people. Isaiah 44, 3 says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out, listen to this, my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And so this water ritual was looking forward today to the day when God would pour out his spirit and he would bring salvation to his people. And Jesus in this context stands up as everyone is focused on this water and he says, I am that water. I am the fulfillment of all of the prophecies of scripture. I am the one who has come to bring the spirit, the living water of the spirit and salvation to you. And this is the context where Jesus speaks that he brings not only physical water to satisfy the body, but he brings the water of the living water of the Holy Spirit that will satisfy your soul. And I want to say that we today need this more than we need anything else. We need the living water of the Spirit more than we need anything else. But the question is, how do we receive this? How do we drink this living water that Jesus promises to provide? Well, the first the first way that we, the first condition for us to drink of this living water is that we must realize our thirst. We must realize our thirst. The, the beginning of, of Jesus' words are, if any man is thirsty. Now, have you ever been really thirsty? You think of a time when mouth was dry, you thought you were about to pass out because you were so thirsty. I remember when I was playing football, we used to have two-a-day practices in the summer. Right? And our coach would make us run until we literally thought we were going to die. And when you got back to the water, I mean, it was incredible how thirsty you were and how, how thirst-quenching and, and satisfying that water was. Maybe you've experienced this, but for the most part, we don't experience this regularly in America. Most places, we have access to water. Now, we may have to pay $3 a bottle to get it, but we have access to water most places that we go. Well, in this context, in the Middle East, they were in the desert. And you didn't always have access to water. And if you went a long period of time, you would die because of your thirst. And so when Jesus makes this statement, it would resonate with them in a way that it doesn't resonate necessarily with us. They would understand that he is saying that just as your body desperately needs water to live, so your soul also desperately needs the water of the Holy Spirit in order to have life. He makes this comparison with water. And here's the deal. In order for us to experience the the living water, in order to, to have our soul quenched and satisfied, we have to recognize first that we're thirsty. Right? And that's the first step. Many of us, there may be some in here today who, who have never understand the fact that you are desperately in need of Christ. That your soul thirsts for Christ. And my prayer today is that God would open your eyes to see that you need Jesus more than you need anything else. And that your soul thirsts for him. And that, that if he, is through his spirit, comes and gives you living water, you will find a deep satisfaction that you are craving. And if you don't, if you don't drink of that water, ultimately your soul will die. Because it needs this living water to live. So that's the first condition, is that we must realize that we're thirsty. But the next condition we see here in order to drink this living water is that we have to reject other fountains. Now, some of us 
have felt the thirst. We've known that we have a need, that, that there's something uh, outside of us that we need to, to fill us. And, and we've tried to, to fill that with things of this world, with, with other fountains, other sources of water. Uh, so maybe we felt this and we've decided, okay, I need a new relationship. Or, or maybe I need, to, I need to buy some stuff, right? I need a new car. I need new clothes. Or, or maybe I need a new career, right? And, and we're seeking after these things to, to fill us, but they don't work, right? It's not living water. And we see this in, in, in Jeremiah 2.13. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's, here's, what, here's the picture. He's saying, if you try to satisfy your soul with things of this earth, it's like trying to drink water out of a broken cup. It won't last for long, and at the end of the day, it'll still leave you thirsty. And this is what God is speaking, that our soul can only be quenched. Our, our thirst can only be quenched through the Spirit of God. Drinking from any other place or seeking satisfaction from any other place is like drinking salt water. It doesn't satisfy and it just leaves you more salty. And so the call is to come to Jesus and to find the living water that will quench the deep thirst of your soul. The next condition in order to receive this living water is to receive it freely. You see, Jesus doesn't say, if anyone thirsts, Come to me and get a job. He says, come to me and drink freely. And this is incredibly good news. Because we don't have to earn the gift of salvation. We can't. We don't have to do enough good things to try to earn this living water of the Spirit. It's, it's offered to us freely by God's grace. Right? Jesus has done all the work. He lived the perfect life that we fail to live in our place. And he died the death, death that we deserve to die on the cross in order to pay for our sins. He has done everything required in order to earn our salvation. All we have to do is drink. We have to receive it. This means believing in Jesus. Right? Trusting in what he has done. And if we do that, we're offered this gift freely by the grace of God. It's like my son's first birthday, right? The cake's been made. The party's been planned. It's set in front of you. All you have to do is eat and enjoy. And this is the call to receive it freely by faith. But the final thing that we have to do in order to experience and drink this living water is we have to rejoice in the life that it provides. The final question is that some of us, maybe we would say we have drank this living water, right? We have been saved. We, we've had our sins forgiven and we've experienced the Spirit of God working in our life. But if we're honest, it's been a while. If we're honest, we feel ourselves getting dry and we know that we're not experienced this fullness of life, this satisfaction. And if that's you, I want to tell you today. That you can only experience the, the living water, the power of the Holy Spirit of God if He is in control of your life. He only promises to give you the satisfaction of your heart, of the depth of your soul, if He is the one who is controlling your life. 
And so many of us, we want to be in control. Anybody like to be in control? <laughs> right, how's that working? And the promise of the Spirit and of the fulfillment and of, of the, the joy and the peace that is promised through the Spirit is promised to those who surrender their lives to Him. Those who, who read the Bible and see the truth that He is leading them to understand. And then, and then on a daily basis seek to follow the guidance of the Spirit. Seek to accomplish His work. To do what He is calling us to do. And it's as we live this kind of surrendered life where He is in control of everything. That's when we really begin to drink. That's when we experience the deep soul thirst quenching of the Spirit of God. And so as we come to a close, I want us to hear these words again of John 7, 37 through 38. And I want you to hear Jesus speaking these words to you through his Spirit this morning. Jesus says, let anyone, anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Maybe there are some of you who are here today and you would say, if I'm honest, I've never really trusted Christ as my Savior. I've never experienced the living water of the Holy Spirit coming into my heart. If that's you today, the, the clear call is to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ and, and to believe in Him and to, to lay your life down and surrender to Him. We have a place called the Prayer and Care Room that's right out across the lobby. We would love to talk to you about what it means to trust Christ. Maybe there are others of you here today who would say, if I'm, if I'm honest, I'm not experiencing the fullness of life that's promised to me. I'm not drinking of the water. I'm not experiencing this. And, and the call to you is to ask yourself, what areas of your life are you not surrendering to Christ? What areas of your life are you holding on to because you want to be in control? Ask God that, to reveal that to you. And as you see it, as you see those areas, surrender them to him. Lay them down before him and ask him to fill your heart anew with the living water of his spirit. As we close today, I'm going to ask us to stand and to sing together and, and to drink and celebrate and worship the living water that God provides. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you that you don't leave us thirsty. But Father, you offer us the, the deep thirst quenching of our souls through your spirit. God, we don't want to settle for anything less. And so, Father, I pray that you would convict us of areas where we are trying to, to remain in control, that we don't want to give up to you. And, Father, that through your Spirit, you would allow us to lay those down, to live a life of daily seeking your guidance and daily surrendering to you and experiencing the blessing that comes as your Spirit works in us. God, that we might know the joy and the peace and the fulfillment that comes only through Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.